Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning. How are you today? So we're in a series called Everyday Wisdom, based primarily out of the book of Proverbs, this famous collection of wise sayings that have endured the ages and been quoted across cultures and religions and theological lines for their universal value. The purpose of wisdom is quite practical. It's actually to help us make more, better decisions and fewer bad decisions. And what we saw two weeks ago is the definition of wisdom can be defined this way, the courage to face reality and respond with growing competence. Today we're going to start in one of my favorite Proverbs of all, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 5. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, this doesn't mean you don't use your understanding. It just means where is your ultimate trust for understanding placed? Is it in you or is it in God? And in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Another way to translate that last line is, he will show you what path to take. Which actually brings us to, I think, one of the biggest, most common questions we all struggle with and we face in our life, of faith in our life just in general. What is God's will? What does God want me to do in whatever particular situation I'm facing, whether it's a job change or, or whether I'm thinking about a grad school or something else or whether I want to get married or divorced or all those important questions that we face throughout life? Because the truth is that we make our decisions and our decisions make us as well. The decisions we make today determine the storyline of our lives tomorrow. Now, for some of you, uh, that brings some haunting things to light because you regret some of your decisions in the past. You, you feel like at times maybe I miss God and everything is so weirded out because of my decisions that I don't think I can ever make things that much better. And God really wants to speak to that area of disappointment for you and he wants to bring hope for you and your future. So my oldest son has been in a season of really exploring what he wants to do in life, seeking a direction for God's will and his direction. And he recently read some material by Craig Groeschel, and and it had some really interesting ways of talking about what we're talking about today. So I'm going to borrow some of his ideas today. I want to give him credit. Whether uh, who you are today is really a conglomeration of your decisions from the past. So the question is, who will you become And what will you accomplish in the future because of your decisions today? As we noted two weeks ago, a lot of us, we all make some bad decisions, right? At least some less than good ones. And how many of you have ever made a permanent decision on a temporary emotion? You lost your temper and you shouldn't have. Now, don't raise your hands. Did any of you lose your temper on the way to church today saying, Kids, would you just please stop yelling and complaining? We're going to church and you're going to like it. How many of you uh, have decisions that you wish you could have a do-over on? You, maybe it was something ridiculous that started with, started with saying to a friend, hold my beer and watch this. And that particular this 
ended up in something you don't you regret, you wish you wouldn't have done. Some of you right now have significant decisions to make. You recently graduated or you're in a career transition or life transition and you're going, what do I do next? Some of you are facing decisions in your finances that will affect you for a very long time and you're asking, what should I do? And some of you are debating even, should I have another child or should I go to the urologist and have a couple snips? Big decisions. Really. Whatever your decision... Maybe you're facing some important decisions. You need God's direction and His will in your life. I actually find it really interesting observing how people make decisions in our culture, especially as it affects the younger generation. I absolutely love our younger generation. They have so much to offer and so much talent. Some of the studies around millennials and younger indicate, though, that they're having a harder time making decisions than previous generations. And the studies generally point to three reasons for indecision. And I actually think these three reasons are beginning to infect us all and causing us all to struggle with indecision. The first one we touched on a couple weeks ago. We face far more decisions today than ever before. I mean, okay, so growing up, we had three TV channels. I thought it was fantastic when we got to five. We had no video rental places. They didn't exist because VCRs didn't exist. Okay, I'm old. So if you wanted to watch something on TV, you had a choice. ABC, NBC, or CBS. And eventually PBS and something else. But today, if you want to sit down as a family, I find us doing this all the time. Sitting down, wanting to watch something together as a family, have a relaxing evening. Between Netflix, DirecTV, Redbox, Prime, Amazon Prime, family video, we have thousands of choices. So I don't know if this happens to you ever, but do you ever spend 45 minutes trying to decide what you're going to watch and in frustration give up? Does that ever happen to anybody else? We're living in an age with so many options, it actually, take, it actually becomes more difficult for us to decide. As a result, one of the things that's happening, especially in younger generations, is this increasing pressure to make the right perfect decision. And there's a fear of an imperfect decision. What's the best decision? What is God's will? In the face of those questions, we tend to become paralyzed sometimes, and we often make no decision, which in itself we know is a decision, and sometimes that's worse than making, oftentimes worse than making an imperfect decision. We need some divine direction on how to face decisions. The second reason decisions are harder is what is called the illusion of perfection. When I was growing up, I realized, man, I'm sounding really old now. We knew about the imperfect home, imperfect friends, and imperfect families because we saw it, we experienced it up close personal, right? But today with social media, we see illusions of others all the time. We see the highlight reels of other people's lives thinking that is just normal everyday life. So they're, they're enjoying this perfectly amazing meal and my meal flopped. We're seeing them out on a perfect date night and the last time I went out on a date, we got into a fight. We see the perfect family and all we can think of is, man, I just wish I could round my annoying kids up long enough to take a smiling picture with every single smile on the face of every child. And the further that further feeds into our need to make perfect decisions, to know the perfect will of God. In order to have a great marriage, I need to pick the perfect person. And sometimes you wonder if you blew that one, right? The pressure can be paralyzing and quite dangerous. The third reason we might we struggle with indecision oftentimes today is what was called the overprogramming of kids. 
When I was growing up until we hit junior high, we just had one sport each year that was organized, Little League, and it happened for about five to six weeks of the year, three times a week instead of five times a week like sports are today. And the rest of the time, since we didn't only have all the three channels and uh, uh, TV channels, the parents just said to us, go outside and do something. Yes, even in the Minnesota winter. So... We'd go out and we'd make up games. We'd dug tunnels in the snow. One of the games we made up, we had contests to see who could put their tongue on a metal pipe at 10 below weather and see how little of their tongue they left behind. We played armies. We would make our sniper purchase on the tops of people's garages and houses without them knowing what we were doing. At least we don't think they knew. We did pickup games of all sorts that we knew, and nothing was organized by adults. We made all the decisions, who the captain was, what the rules were. We solved our own problems, yes, sometimes by force, but we quickly learned that there are better ways to resolve problems that hurt less. Today, researchers are noting that we organize everything for our kids. We pack their schedules. We tell them what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And kids are no longer learning the creativity and the decision-making skills that go along with just go outside and do something. Those muscles aren't being developed. Leaving our kids with more indecisiveness in the face of fluid, uncertain situations and decisions that need to be made. I heard a boss this last week tell a story of an employee who was having a hard time deciding between a couple positions they were being offered, so the boss made the comment, Do you think you struggle with indecisiveness? And the employee looked back at him and said with thoughtful seriousness, well, yes and no. (laughs) And then he went on for five minutes to try to explain why he couldn't figure out whether he was being indecisive. An article in Forbes magazine talked uh, about career paralysis, especially among 20-somethings who are afraid to make a mistake in their career. And when you dig behind that fear, that paralysis, what you discover is, is the difference between the older generations is the older generations were basically told life is all about just get a good education, get a good job. And a good job meant often steady, solid income and nothing more than that. It didn't include a high priority on what you love, right? So that's what we did. And because many in the older generation did jobs they hated for 40 years, they started to tell their kids then, find out what you love and do that for a living. So the emerging generation now has three criteria for taking a job that make it nearly impossible sometimes to make a decision. The first one is it has to be something I love. See, the problem with that, although it's great, is even jobs I love and the people I know that are in jobs that they love, the love part is usually 10 to 50% of the job. And the rest of it is stuff they could do without, they don't really like doing, that they just have to do. So finding a job that you really, really love can be really hard. And then you add to that the second criteria. It has to make a difference. Now, this is actually one of the things I love absolutely most about the younger generation. They are so passionate about making a difference, and there is such a willingness to sacrifice to do so. But depending on how you define making a difference, it kind of rules out selling widgets or a factory job or crunching numbers. And then the selection of a job, an idea, becomes nearly impossible when you add the third criteria to it. It has to be a job that makes a lot of money. Can I tell you, as someone who's worked most of his career in a job that people would define as a making a difference kind of a job, that lots of money and making a difference don't often go together. 
Together, those three criteria create a nearly impossible decision leading to paralysis. If I say yes to this opportunity, then that means I say no to this one and this one and, and, and this one. And what if these other ones are right? And should I take this high-paling job or, or, should I, or should I raise my own support and serve refugees? See, fear of missing it causes us to not commit. I believe the wisdom we're going to explore today and in part two of this message, Knowing God's Will, in two weeks from now, it can begin to help remove the pressure and free you to make some really good decisions, even if they are imperfect decisions. Because as our first verse read earlier, God wants to give you wisdom to know what path to take. God wants to bless you in that path. So let's start from that place of encouragement that God really does want to bless you and He wants you to know where to go and what decision to make. Now, we often think of wisdom and wise decisions as answering the question, what do we do? But Proverbs makes two points very clear about wisdom and decisions. Wisdom in finding and following the will of God is first and foremost about who before do. Wisdom in the will of God is first and foremost about who you are and not about what you do, what particular decision you make. When our core text today says, in all your ways acknowledge God, that word acknowledge is often translated submit as well. And, and, and so its first and foremost focus is not about doing, it's about who you look to to define right and wrong and reality and who you submit to, the authority that you submit your life to, your character and your, your morality, the one who sets the boundaries to which you submit. And it's also about the mission to which you submit your life. See, this wisdom and character connection is frequently discussed throughout Proverbs in boatloads of verses. And in each of these verses on the screen, many of them kind of follow a formula. They put character in the forefront of wisdom. And many of the texts say, this is wise, bad, unwise, bad character, and brings destruction. This is wise, good character, and brings the delight of God and causes God to delight in you. Now, when you think about it, character in our lives is really those things about us who, uh, that make relationships and life in the world delightful and good and beautiful and satisfying and harmonious and peaceful and loving and easy. For example, lying is bad character. Why? Because it hurts others and yourself. Honesty is good character. Why? Because it removes the wonder of what's real and what's not and creates peaceful trust in relationships. See, wisdom always starts with who you are before what you do. The problem is we often don't ask the right question. We ask God, what do you want me to do? The what and the do. A better question that leads to the core of wisdom and God's will is, what do you, God, want me to be in this circumstance? Who you are is the foundation of wisdom. Some of you might actually say, okay, around this, Ross, it's probably God's will that you're a pastor. Is it God's will that I'm a pastor? Here's how I think Proverbs and Jesus and, and wisdom would respond to that. Being a pastor is at best a secondary aspect of God's will for me. 
Pastor is what I do, but it's not who I am. That's, that's one of the reasons I prefer not to be called pastor. I mean, if you want to call me that because of your tradition, that's fine. But, but that feels a little bit like me saying, hey, accountant Heidi or, or nurse Sarah or retired CEO uh, Gary or teacher Ginny or backhoe Bob or leadership guru Joe or mother Melissa. Pastor is, is what I do. It's not who I am. And frankly, I, would, I, I could be a pastor and not be in God's will if my character and heart are not right. I could preach a really good message, but if I were mistreating my wife, I would not be in God's will. I could lead people and get a lot done, but if I'm not paying my bills, then I'm not responsible with money. I'm not in God's will. If I don't live up to my responsibilities in character and a right heart toward God and others, then I am not in God's will no matter what I'm doing. And neither am I wise nor am I making wise decisions in life. See, God is more concerned about the who before the do if we are to be wise. So how does this apply to you and I? You might ask, well, should I date this person? And the answer is date whoever you like as long as they have good character and integrity and they're following and serving Jesus. And as you date them, treat them with kindness and respect and love. And even if you break up with them, leave them better off than when you found them by how you care for them and treat them, even in the breakup process. Should I stay in my job or take another? I, I don't know, but, but I know that you can definitely know God's will for you right now, wherever you are. Be a faithful follower of Jesus. Pray for the peace and prosperity of your coworkers and your business and your customers. and Give it your all so that even if you leave, you leave the place better than when you came. Before you think about the do of the future, think about the who you are in the present. Instead of what you want me to do, Jesus, the question is what do you want me to become in the present? Because God's will and wisdom is always seen in the present. So what is God's will? It is who before do. And it may mean at times a specific do that God is going to tell you about, but most of the time it's who you are in the present. God's will is who before do. And second, God's will is why before what. Why before what. Proverbs 16.2 says it this way. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. If you're like me, if you're like the person next to you, elbow them. If you're essentially like everyone in this room, you often, without fully realizing it, think that what you do and how you think is right. So what the scripture is emphasizing again for us is this truth that our heart is really deceitful above all things. And while you may think your way is right, God judges each and every one of our motives because motives matter to God. There's an old saying that goes like this. There are two reasons everyone does something. The reason they tell everyone else and the real reason. How many of you have experienced this? Or maybe you were this person as a child. Your young child comes to you and they say, Daddy, I love you so much. You're the best daddy in the whole wild world. There's no daddy who compares to you. You should get the world's best daddy award. I love you so much, Daddy. And when you hear that, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Daddy, you're the best, so can I have a kitten? Right? Motos matter. So that child, at least in our household, is not going to get a kitten. Besides, if it's the Ottoman household, the child has absolutely no love for daddy because they would know that my least favorite idea of a household pet is a cat. 
So sorry for all of you cat lovers. Think of it this way if you're a cat lover. That just leaves more for you to love. The verse is Proverbs 16. When combined with the beautiful prayer that we see of David in Psalm 139, helps us a lot because honestly when I see this impurity of heart and the, how I can't even know my own heart for, for years that puts so much pressure on me to make a perfectly motivated decision, wise decision. And this Psalm 139 frees us because it says we simply need to regularly pray the prayer of a wise person. Psalm 139 reads this. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way ever, everlasting. I want to encourage you, if you want to go home and read the whole of Psalm 139, it is this beautiful, amazing prayer of what it looks like to acknowledge God in all things. But let me speak to you guys especially for a moment. Guys, sometimes we poo-poo this self-reflection and emotional awareness thing that's talked about today. But both Solomon and David, two manly, successful men in history, advise us, if we want to be wise, we must know what's going on in here. We need to be reflective. We need to be emotionally self-aware. We need to face and understand our anxious thoughts with God. So much of our binge watching, binge drinking, binge eating, binge sporting activities are ways to escape our anxious, fearful, and tearful thoughts of what's going on inside here. And when we do that, we undermine wisdom in our lives. Seek God's insight into your motives. What's fueling the why of the drive inside of you by seeking feedback from God? Why? Because of the confidence that God will then lead you to ways everlasting into His perfect, enduring will. When you put the who before the do and the why before the what. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else. above Above what else? All else. The most important thing to be wise, right up there alongside of reverencing God. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Everything you do flows from it. So many times when I pray Psalm 139 and say, God, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. It's actually scary how often my motives are tainted, if not outright selfish and impure. So often my motives are about what I want, not what is best and right and good, not about what is wise. And here's the crux of the problem. It's nearly impossible to get to the right place in life, the right do in life, if you start with the wrong why. Facing our reality is always the beginning of wisdom. Remember our definition of wisdom? Wisdom is the courage to face reality and respond to that with growing competence. See, the why of our heart really, really matters. Because it's out of our heart that all of our actions flow, our words flow, our decisions flow, our motives of our heart, what's driving us, the why of what we do. So what's God's will? Start by examining your motives. You want to buy a new car? Why? Why are you buying a new car? Is it because you can afford one? 
Is it because you need more reliable transportation? Or are you just making a statement that you, can, that you cannot afford, a decision that's going to cause you to take on debt or prevent you from saving or prevent you from giving in a way that's wise? Going back to last week's questions, is it wrong? Well, maybe not. But that isn't the right question. Remember the right question, sorry, from two weeks ago? The right question is, is it wise? And wisdom starts with the why, the motive, not just the action. If you're complimenting someone, are you really sincerely wanting them to feel great or do you just need to feel great because they like you and they respond to you out of that compliment because or because you want something? Why is it that sometimes you name drop or give compliments? If you're posting something online, why are you doing that? Is it truly something meaningful to you that you want to share? Is it something that points to the goodness of God and the goodness of life? Or is it because you want other people to think you're really cool, together, valued, beautiful, fashionable, lovable, hanging out with the right people? What's your motive? Why before what? Who before do? Paul actually encapsulates those really powerfully in Colossians 3 when he says this, And whatever you do... Again, this whatever, this kind of above all else, this all-encompassing statement, this all-encompassing thing that Paul is going to say is all about knowing the wisdom of God and being in God's will. He says, whatever you do, whether entry level or CEO, whether student or teacher, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whether talking to your future spouse or working with your colleague, wherever you live, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Serve God right there. Whether dating someone or working for someone or supervising someone, whether you're home uh, up to your neck in dirty diapers and mess and slobber or, or you're designing the super trendy ad campaign for a Fortune 500, whether you're working the fry machine at the local fast food place or whether you're designing the software to run billions of dollars of business, do it all to the best of your ability, and do it for the pleasure of God Himself. When your kids or your employees are acting up, pray for them and serve them and do it with the right motives, whatever, wherever. But, but, but you may ask, I want to do something really big in life for God. And, and we'll start by making a small difference in people's lives right now by touching the colleague in the cubicle next to you, by faithfully serving your neighbor who lives next to you or the people who you go to school with. Some of you are in jobs you hate. And you want something so much more. Well, whatever you do, wherever you are, be really good at what you do right now. Serve Jesus right there. Represent Him well right there. Be the wisest, the most honest, the most hardworking, the most disciplined, the most focused, the most gracious, giving person right now. Many people look at the really successful people in life, and they think, well, they made two or three really great, wise decisions, so I need to learn to make a few of those decisions like them. But, but that really isn't the case for most of them. But for most of them, there were a thousand little decisions they made along the way. If you see someone who's faithfully making a difference for God today, there were thousands of difficult why questions they processed through motive-checking questions along the way. Decisions to die to their own selfish motives and bitterness 
in their own heart to serve others, to give up that pain, to forgive even when treated wrongly and make sure their motive was right. God designed each and every one of our hearts to know God and delight in God and walk in harmony with God in His ways and to bring glory to Him as we love His creation as He loves His creation. The who before the do. The why before the what. I mean, so many people ask the question, what does God want me to do? But a better starting place is who does God want me to be and what why is driving my life? There have been so many people in my life who've inspired me. One of, the, one of the people who really inspired me years ago is a guy named Stephen. I met him my junior year in college. I, I moved on to a floor that was kind of Stephen's second home. He would show up, show up daily and ask what he could pray for me about. And he would talk to me about what he'd heard in the Bible and ask me what I had heard in the Bible that day. And we'd talk. And Stephen was constantly looking for ways to care for people. He would challenge me in my motives and for doing things and encourage me to love people freely and genuinely. So sometimes I would come back from class and I'd find him in my room folding my laundry, every college kid's dream, right? Well, he told and, and he would sit there and tell me how what a great joy he'd had that day serving different people, how he'd helped people, how he'd cared for people and served them and prayed for them. And Stephen was a giver. He always tithed. Everything he had, a tenth of everything he had went to God's work. And, and whenever he ran into a student who was running low on money and, and, and possibly not going to be able to come back the next semester, Stephen would hand him some cash and pray for him and encourage him. And the thing about it is, Stephen was mentally and emotionally handicapped. He wasn't a student. He wasn't able to hold down a job because he couldn't st- handle the stress of that. He was rightly on disability be- but he, but he knew God's will. And he knew God's wisdom was all about the who before the do and the why before the what. And he was one of the most caring, wise, peace-filled, happy people I have ever known in my entire life. And Stephen touched the lives of so many people who are today prominent leaders in whatever field they're in. They adopted him year after year as they came on that same dorm floor. But in reality, when you really got to know Stephen, he adopted them with his genuine sense of love for people. And he changed their lives and their perspectives of so many people who are now in leadership positions all over this nation. Because Stephen knew that wisdom was less about how smart you are and what you knew and less about the particular decisions you made. It was more about the who you were and the why you did things. See, I actually find it so beautiful and amazing that 35 years later, as I'm sitting down this last week pondering who in my life illustrates this message, that it's his face and his name that comes to mind, not all the prominent leaders I've had the privilege of spending time with. When you look at the teachings of Jesus regarding the will of God, wisdom, making good decisions, it's all about the people. He rarely talks about specific career stuff, specific types of do types of things. It's all about the people. Love God and love people. So if you're a note taker, and you want the next slide, I want you to grab your phone right now and take a picture of the next slide. It has some powerfully thought-provoking statements worthy. I've been meditating on them all week, but it won't be on the screen for very long. So here is the truth. Craig Rochelle profoundly summarizes it this way. He says, when you get 
the who right, you actually do more. When you get the why right, the what has power. If you're becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. And if you're driven by the right why, God will lead you to the right what. Because it takes us back to where we started. If you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, you trust Him enough to let Him search your entire heart, expose and shape the why of your heart. And if you do not lean on your own understanding, in other words, you use your understanding, but, uh, but as you do, you trust God's understanding more. You let Him define character and right and wrong and good versus best and the boundaries of healthy living and what that looks like in relationships. And if, in all your ways, you acknowledge Him, you recognize His authority and His greatness and you defer to Him. You submit your ways to Him and seek to bring Him praise and glory in everything you do. Then, He's going to make your path straight. So don't freak out about the decisions you're facing. Focus on the primary thing. Who does God want you to be right now? Right now, each and every day, God will lead you into His will because He wants you to walk in His will even more than you want to walk in His will. So relax. God's got you. He's got the wisdom and the decisions for you. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we love you. We are so grateful that you've got it for us that you say you're going to give us wisdom liberally so lord i pray right now as we continue to worship that you'd help each one of us take a deeper step of acknowledging you of deferring to you of submitting to your authority and your will lord would you be glorified through our lives in everything we do because we walk in your will and you empower us, you lead us to the right what, the right do. And you, you just, you're just there, God. So I pray wherever everybody's at here that you would just come right now and meet us as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.